You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. I like to think of myself, generally speaking, as a pretty even-tempered sort of a person. That's not who I would naturally be, but I do think that God has done a work in me over the years, and yet there are things that kind of will nonetheless bring out the worst in me. Mini-golf is one of them. Not necessarily hole one, two, or three. They're just there to lure you in and make you think that you can actually play the game. It's usually hole number four, or five, or six, or all of them that get you. And I remember this one particular hole that, um, where the, the, the hole for this particular little, little course was not at the end, but, but it was right at the top of a little, a little, little hill. Have you ever, ever, ever had one of those? And you, uh, you need to either hit it and get it into the hole right at the top of the hill, or face the consequences, which is walk all the way over the hill of shame to the other end where your ball now awaits you. Hit it back again. And, and I think it was, was over the number 12 or 13 that I remember just thinking, my, my, my whole game is shot here. My, my score is terrible. And I, oh, I just want to restart. I want to, want to reset. Well, sometimes life can be like that as well. And not necessarily because you have made the, the ultimate mistake, which is just irreversible, but, but every now and again, we find ourselves in a particular place where we think, you know what? I really have messed things up. I really would like to, to start again. What if we could just start over? It might have been a relationship that's gone badly. It might have been something that you really wish you hadn't said. It might have been an exam you wished you studied for just a little bit more. It could be a whole host of things, but it is common in life to, to find yourself saying, I wish I could start over. If, if only I could just press the, the reset button. Well, you know, the amazing thing about grace is that God gives us such an opportunity. We've been talking a little bit about grace in our series um, on, on Abide, in, in fact, we've been thinking about the, the fact that as disciples of Jesus Christ, we want to bring God glory by bearing much fruit. Fruit's the inevitable result of abiding. Abiding takes place, well, really when we remain in Christ and Christ remains in us, but there are things that we can do to nurture that along. One of them is meeting to all together. That's the A. Uh, Another one of them is being in a very, very busy world still, being still. Another of them is to to learn to imitate Jesus Christ, who is the perfect model of what humanity ought to look like. Another of them is being devoted together in in love, being devoted to one another in love. And then the E is being envoys of grace. But before we could talk about what it means to be an envoy or an ambassador of grace, we had to discover, well, what is grace? We sing about it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me. But what is grace? There's little acrostics that you can come up with, God's riches at Christ's expense and so forth. But I don't know, does that, does that yet capture it? What is grace? And so to have a look at this, we decided to delve into the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians to be precise. And and we've been looking at a little explanation of Paul about the nature of grace, this new covenant of grace. And, and Paul uses a number of pictures. And if you've been at EBC over the last, well, few weeks, you will be a little bit familiar with these pictures. And this is where actually we get all interactive. This is the fun bit. This is where you actually get to, to preach as well. So why don't you stand up and we'll go through these pictures. If, if this is really strange to you and suddenly you think, I've walked in and this is a cult. Um, no, it's not. It's just, just Eltham Baptist Church. And, and we're going to go through these, these pictures, and I'll help you through it so that you don't feel too lost. Okay, the first one is a picture of a gigantic coffee cup. Do you remember that one? 
Yeah, it was a little while ago, wasn't it? But that was to remind us of the beautiful aroma that, that uh, comes out of a, of a cup of coffee. So the first one is a big, big coffee cup. Sitting in the middle of that is a... Oh, you're good. You're good. And then over the, over the top of the torch is a, a veil. That's held on by a, a clay pot. Man, you guys are good. And then pitched over that is a tent. In the opening of the door is a, is a globe. And on top of the globe is a very well-dressed person holding out a very large hand. Fantastic. Turn to the person next to you. One of you go through the pictures from the bottom. The other go through the pictures from the top down. Great. How'd you go? Did you get through that all right? All right, let's, um, let's just go through what, what does Paul mean by all of these pictures? What is he saying about grace? Well, the first thing he's saying about grace is that, that we are to God like the aroma of Jesus Christ. We, we give God the same, same pleasure that Jesus, his son, gives to the Father. Isn't that amazing? And we are a pleasing aroma to God, just like that of Jesus Christ. The second thing that Paul is saying, this... The nature of grace, the grace that is at work in you, um, is that it's like a light that is dawned in your heart. It's, it's also kind of like there, your, your, your heart is like a, like a dark world and, and the sun as it dawns upon, upon that world and, and light gives it color and life, your heart is like that. Jesus Christ has dawned upon a very, very dark life and, and he has brought color and he has brought life into you. You have been, as it were, born again. That light has come into your life. And then Paul is saying, but, but, but more than that, grace is, is not just like the fact that you are now a pleasing aroma to, to God. Grace is not just that your, your heart has had the light of God itself dawn upon it and, and brought you to life. But it means that the veil that is over the heart of most of mankind has been removed from your heart. You now have intimacy with God. You are, you are able to experience and encounter and know God, and, and he's not covered by some artificial veil. More than that, there's not just a veil that's been removed from your heart. It's like a veil that's been removed from your face, and other people can actually see the likeness of Jesus Christ in you. That's grace. That's an amazing thing. And then that clay pot on top of that, that reminds us that that grace, this grace, though we, we look kind of average, ordinary, just like an everyday clay pot or a clay jar. No, 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 do not be mistaken. The grace of God is such that there is a treasure inside that clay pot, that, that clay jar, an amazing treasure. This is Jesus himself through his spirit living in you. It's a remarkable thing. And then the, the tent pitched over that is to remind us, okay, yeah, so we, we wear, as it were, these 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 old tents, these perishable tents like clothing in this, in this day. And, and we don't look like much, but there is a, 
there is a beautiful dwelling place awaiting us. It's, it's like, a, like a house of palatial splendor, and, and that's our real, real dwelling place. And there we are going to spend eternity with God, and, and the promise there is secure because of grace. And then inside, to, to explain how that could be a reality, inside the opening of that tent is a globe. And I invited you, as you, as you pictured the, the globe in your mind's eye, to, to pick a blue one or an antique one. I've gone for the antique one. But, but this is to remind us of, of the creation, the world that God has created. And then this, this next picture here, and we've actually been studying this surreptitiously all throughout Easter. But, but God is saying, do you know what? To me, you are a new creation. You are a brand new creation. I have started a, a whole new work in you. And that, again, is the effect of my grace. Only my grace could do that. Everything that you are disappointed about, about yourself, everything that you wish you could change, everything that you, you would love to reset and have a new start at, if only you could, it's possible because of grace. And that is possible because this, this new creation, because of the reconciling work that God has done. And we're going to talk a little bit about reconciliation in a moment. So that's where we're at. That's, that's how amazing grace is. You're a beautiful aroma to, to God. A new light has dawned in your heart. Veils have been, been ripped back. There is a treasure that lives within you, which is, which is more real than the earthly body that you walk around in in this life, which is like a perishable tent. You are literally a new creation, a beautiful new creation. The new start that you've always wanted, it's possible. God makes it possible. And how does he do that? He does it through reconciliation. What we're going to look at tonight is this, this reality that wherever there is, there is reconciliation, there can be a new creation as well. If you've got your Bibles um, with you, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to read, read a few verses here, 17, verses 17 through to 21. This is where Paul is talking about the nature of a new creation. What, what does it mean? How does it work? 2 Corinthians 5, chapter 17 this, by the way, is one of my favorite verses. I, I just cannot get enough of it. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So reconciliation is, Paul is borrowing sort of like, yeah, a financial, a financial word, a word from finance. And it's basically, um, it, it simply means it, it has to add up. My very first job out of school was, was with a bank. And, and they were really, really fussy about things adding up. They wanted things to be reconciled every day, all the time. It was crazy. But they wanted it to add up. 
the money that went out and the money that went in, at the end of the day, it all had to kind of, kind of add up and, and, and make sense. <laughs> Silly people. And, and yet, reconciliation was important to them. How much more when it comes to spiritual realities? Paul borrows this, this financial term, as it, as it were, to talk about the way in which we have been reconciled to, to God. Um, here's, here's, a, here's a way to, to think about reconciliation. I often talk about the merits of coffee. Some people say that there's a downside, and I never talk about that. So in fairness, can coffee be bad for you? Yes, it can. Okay, here's an example. Let's just say one morning you wake up, you feel like coffee, and there you are in your finest Fred Flintstone flannel pajamas. You walk down to the kitchen. You're about to get some coffee, but you realize there's no milk. Being a Saturday morning and it's rather early, you kind of think for a moment, and later on you will kind of question this wisdom, but you think for a moment you can actually get down to 7-Eleven in your pyjamas and possibly no one will notice. You jump in the car, you do just that, you go into 7-Eleven and all is looking good. There's hardly anybody there. You grab the milk off the shelf and you go to the counter to purchase it, but realize, do you know what, you've left your wallet at home. Well, that's rather foolish, but on the counter is a credit card there. You pick that up and you look at it and it's not a name that you realize, in fact, as a bizarre name, Rock. There's a capital E there, which you guess is probably his, his surname. So there's, there's a credit card belonging to some Rocky fellow. And, and you kind of figure, you know what, I'm going to return that to, to the police station. He'll really, he'll really be chuffed by this. As you head out, you remember your milk and that you haven't paid for it. And you realize that Rocky fellow would probably love to give you a reward for returning his card. So it wouldn't probably matter if on this one occasion you tap and go. So you tap and go, and all of a sudden you're up to $3 and you still have no coffee. You hop in your car, you drive home. Um, although then you remember, I've got to go to the police station, and you also realize that I don't have enough fuel for this. You're about to run out of fuel, and, uh, and as you think about turning back to the petrol station, the inevitable happens, the car goes kaput. So you sit there in your car wondering what you're going to do next, and you think, well, I'll phone my wife. You pick up your phone, but there's no charge in it. And then you look at the phone charger, and you realize why. For months you've been telling yourself, I need to replace my phone charger. Anyway, just as you think that the only, the only thing you can do now is to walk home in your finest Fred Flintstone flannelette pyjamas, a taxi comes by. You think, praise God, I'm saved. You flag him over and you say, can you give me a lift home? My car seems to have run out of petrol. And the guy says, that's what I do. He's got an accent, which is interesting. It's probably from the Middle East or somewhere. But anyway, he's a taxi driver and he's here to help. So you hop in and he reminds you because the area that you live in, you better grab any valuables that you have in the car. You quickly look in the car and you're thankful that he said this because you recall actually putting your hand up to volunteer to help out with kids' church after an emotional plea by the children's pastor. That meant that you had to go get a kid's check. That meant that you had to prove yourself and who you were. And that's why your passport is sitting on the front seat. You stick it in the only pocket that you have in your finest Fred Flintstone flannelette pajamas. You hop back into the taxi and you say, let's go. I'll tell you where it is. He types it into the navigational device and you say, you don't need to. This is easy. I'll show you. And he says, I'm sorry, it's policy. He's a lovely guy and he starts to tell you about how he's new to the country, which might explain why you are now on the Western Ring Road heading away from home. You try to explain to him that actually it's back this way and you're not quite sure what's wrong with his navigational device, but by now he's telling you about the upcoming wedding of his daughter. And he's wondering if you might like to join him. He really is a lovely guy. As you arrive at the airport, you think to yourself, I'm going to bail. You know, this is just not working out. He tells you that to bail will cost you $77. 
And you remember that you still don't have a wallet, you still don't have a cup of coffee, but you do have a credit card from this Rocky fellow. And, and so you tap and go once more, total charge $80. As you leave, your thinking is you'll go into the airport, phone your wife, she'll come and pick you up. But that means talking to people and you still have morning breath, so you ask him if he's got a fresh mint. He hasn't, but his brother-in-law, who's a dental assistant, happens to have an anesthetic chew. He gives that to you, you pop it in your pocket for later, and head in thinking to yourself, I'm a bronze, privileged bronze member of the Qantas Club, which is actually the base level, but surely it must come with some privileges. So you approach the counter and you think to yourself, I'll just ask to use their phone. My phone, after all, is dead. As you get to the counter, there's a Frenchman in a tweed coat in front of you and you you feel he's just finalizing his transaction but probably wouldn't mind if you butted in. So you do that, say, excuse me, sir, I'll only be a minute. You lean over the counter and you hear a strange beep. You look down and realize that you're leaning over the FPOS machine and the credit card in your pocket has just bought you a ticket to Paris return business. The lady smiles at you and says, I hope you enjoy your flight, sir, to which you smile back and say, that was a mistake. Can we put it back, put it back on my card? She says, absolutely. Can you just produce your card and some ID? As you take out the card, you think about the fact that your ID is not going to match up. So you ask her, what time is my flight? Because you've just purchased a business ticket, you're allowed into the business lounge, and it's there that you settle into your seat to ring your wife, if you can possibly find a phone, and let her know that what you're going to do is just fly to Singapore, just that first leg. You're not going all the way to Paris. This will give you time to sleep, and they possibly will serve coffee. At Singapore, you'll turn around, come back, and you'll be back there before anyone knows it. They're handing around, as it happens, headphones in the business lounge, and the Frenchman happens to be there, and he seems to have a pair. So, thinking they're complimentary, you grab a pair as well. Then you discover that they're actually $500, which is a little bit embarrassing, so once more you tap and go, and your total bill now is $580. Sitting in the, the business class part of the aeroplane, the most bizarre thing is they hand out pyjamas in business class. You explain that you've actually already got your own pyjamas, you won't be needing that. And so now as the plane takes off, you settle in and you try to get to sleep. Sleep won't come. Towards the end of the flight, you decide now is the perfect time to grab a sleeping tablet and it starts to take effect just on the descent into, into Singapore. In Singapore, you realise you will have a quick moment to just, just freshen up, turn around, get on the plane and, and head back again. And again, you remember that your breath is pretty disgusting, so now's the time to grab that anaesthetic chew. Just at this time, as the, everybody is disembarking the aircraft, the sleeping tablet kicks in. So half asleep and unable to speak, the crew remove you in a wheelchair and, and ask you where you would like to go until the, till the plane is cleaned for the next leg. You say you'd like to go to the boys' room, but it comes out as the toy room. So they take you to a large toy shop, and again, in your slumber, you mistake a very, very large teddy bear for the Frenchman, and you grab him thinking he's got to make the flight once more. It's odd that you were able to pull him onto his lap. You mistake the cashier for an immigration officer, and you mistake your credit card for the passport. You wake up a little bit later as the plane is taking off towards Paris and realize there's a very large teddy bear sitting next to you. You look at the price tag on it and it's $300. Your total bill at the moment is now $10,500. You still haven't had your cup of coffee and you still can't sleep. And as the plane is, is hurtling towards, towards Paris, you take stock of your situation and you feel that this is okay, it's taking longer than I actually thought. But when I get to Paris, I'll turn around and take the return flight there. In Paris, 
So you're sitting in the lounge waiting for the return flight and you decide that now would be a great time to test out the noise counselling headphones. Somebody wants to sit next to you and because there's no other seats, you put this teddy bear on your lap. You can't hear the announcement and you can't see the screen to announce that there's actually been a gate change. Very soon, you're walking back onto the plane, a much smaller one, which surprises you a little bit. And as you go onto the plane, you, you realize that for some reason, the, the ticketing machine doesn't work. You're ushered on with no fuss, and as you sit there, you open up the airline magazine, and it's in Arabic, which strikes you as a little bit strange. Nonetheless, there's a beautiful picture of a phone charger and reminded that this whole thing began because I didn't have a phone charger. Now's the perfect time to purchase one, and gee, it looks good in what looks or appears to be the interior of a Maserati. Flicking over a few more pages, you also notice that you could book a hotel room and, and decide to do so. When you get back to Singapore, you're in no shape to just keep returning. So although they, the in-flight service has been cancelled because of the rocky flight, they are happy to, to sell you duty-free and you're able to make these purchases. And you're a little bit surprised and want to know what the exchange rate is on whatever crazy dollar you just purchased a $240,000 phone charger in a $244,500 hotel room in Singapore. And the person who tells you or explains this and has just sold it to you also explains to you that you didn't buy a phone charger, you bought a Maserati. You didn't buy a hotel room in Singapore, you, you bought an apartment in Dubai. And so your total bill now is $500,000 and you still haven't had a cup of coffee. The pilot announces that you are now descending into a rabbit, which also strikes you as rather odd. And as you arrive in Morocco and realize it's actually Rabat and go through immigration, two things simultaneously occur to you. One is a very, very large poster uh, giving a warning about um, um, animal trafficking. It's got a big, big, big picture of a panda bear. The other thing that strikes you is the fact that your teddy bear looks amazingly like a panda bear. It's with mixed emotions that you receive a cup of coffee from the policeman later in your jail cell. And your solitude in that cell is, is after a while interrupted as somebody comes by and says, you're free to go. You've been pondering for some time, how is it that in search of a cup of coffee, I find myself with a $500,000 debt? This is just crazy. And how am I going to get out of this situation? So to hear the words, you're free to go, strikes you as really odd. You say, well, how can this be? I mean, I have just made a series of terrible blunders. You can't just wipe a half a million dollar debt and, and tell me I'm free to go. This is absolutely crazy. But the policeman explains, it's okay. A, a, a guy came back claiming that it was his credit card and he's paid off the credit card and, and, and all the expenses with it. He said, you're kidding. His name was Rockefeller, and, and he was a Frenchman in a tweed coat from memory. And he, he basically said, yeah, that's actually my card. You know what? The guy can't keep the Maserati, and he can't have the apartment in Dubai, but the rest of it, I'll write off. No problem. And as you wonder, just how is this possible? You check. Tell me again, what sort of a tweed coat was it? Did you say a French accent? And he said, absolutely. He was wearing noise-canceling headphones, and he was carrying a very large teddy bear. And you realize it's him. He has come and he's just written off your entire debt. This is absolutely amazing. And as you're about to leave, the guy says, one more thing. He left a note for you. And he slips you a little note which you open up and it simply reads, you're welcome. And a little smiley face on it. 
Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But that's what coffee can do to you. Beware. It's also actually an illustration, as it happens, about reconciliation. It's very, very easy in life to, to accumulate a massive debt, a debt that you couldn't possibly pay off. Reconciliation means that somebody graciously comes and wipes off that debt for you. Okay, thinking about this spiritually, think about everything that you have ever done wrong. Oh, yeah, the little funny ones that you would share with the person next to you, that little white lie that you once told. Think about the not-so-funny ones where it really actually went bad and you got into trouble or got somebody else into trouble. Think about the ones where you seriously hurt somebody's feelings or somebody, somebody got hurt as a result of your actions. Think about the sort of sins which, well, we just simply call them the unspeakable sins. You know, that, 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 that one that nobody else knows about it because of the shame that it carries with it. Think about that one. And imagine a life of sin was recorded somehow on a, on a messy bank statement. I don't know, would the figure be 500,000 or would it be more? And then imagine this incredible debt that you could do nothing about and it just says simply, paid in full, you're welcome, you're welcome. That's what God has done for us in, in Jesus Christ. Reconciliation. Isaiah uh, 2 Corinthians 5, let's start there, 18 and 19. So this is what God has been doing. He has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And quite simply, it's like this, not counting people's sins against them. And he has, as it happens, committed to us the message of reconciliation as well. This this whole notion of sin, this, this thought that somehow we've, we've all mucked up in some way. Isaiah, from, from the old days in 53, chapter 53, verse 6 says, yeah, it's like this. We're all like sheep. We've just all gone astray, all of us, each of us to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, or all of our sin. It's been laid on Christ. In the same passage, 2 Corinthians Corinthians 5, verse 14, Paul says, Christ's love compels us. What is it about his love that is compelling us? We are convinced that one died and therefore all died. This is what God has done to reconcile himself. In verse 19, it says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And this reconciliation, wherever there is reconciliation, there is a new creation. This is the grace of God at work in your life and mine, where God has, has made right, where he's paid off the debt, where he was brought two together as one, reconciling them. Where he has done that, there is a new creation. There is a new creation. Um, in verses 20 to 21, Paul says, be reconciled to God, I implore you. You see, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's the, the new part. The old part is that our sin is dealt with. The new part is that we have become the righteousness of God. Here is the most amazing trade you will ever see. 
Jesus, as it were, who was the righteousness of God, actually became like our sin. He took on all of our sin and, 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 and became, as it were, sin. And we, who were stuck in our sin, who would be described as a sinful people, we in turn, here's the trade-off, we in turn become the very righteousness of God that Jesus once had. That is incredible. That's reconciliation. Jesus becomes our sin, we become the righteousness of God. That is absolutely incredible. That's what God has done through Jesus Christ to reconcile himself to us. The second part of becoming a new creation is that we are the very righteousness of God. It's an incredible truth. Now, this is the difficult one to, to get our heads around, um, that we are a new creation. I was on, a, on a, a course back in 2007. It was held in Thailand, and it was, about a, it was a whole bunch of missionaries on this course, and it was a two-and-a-half, three-star resort, but it had an amazing pool. And the afternoon was free. We'd had this, some in-depth Bible study, and, and I had walked away with this verse just going around my head. We're looking at it just before, 2 Corinthians 5.17. I am a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. This is true of anyone who is in Christ. They are a new creation. And anyway, I went, um, I went to the pool and I just started doing laps, laps. And probably, I, I reckon I was probably for about an hour just doing laps in this pool, meditating on this verse. I wasn't swimming hard. I was just swimming lap after lap after lap. And I was just trying to take this verse in. What does this mean? And something occurred to me that had never occurred to me before. My theology was rather screwy. I had always pictured that there were kind of like two selves, a divided self. And I was meditating on this verse. If anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. They're not a new creation and an old creation. They're a new creation. And the old has gone and the new has come. And, and I had this crazy picture of a divided self. For me, it kind of looks something like this. Um, over there was the well, over here is the old self. This was the old me, but because of Christ and that I was in Christ, now there was a new self as well. But I had this divided self. I had two selves: the the old self and the new self because of Christ. But that's not what the verse says, doesn't it? The verse says the old has gone, and in the Greek, gone means it's not there anymore. That's what it means. It means it's gone. It's it means there it was, and now it's. It's gone. That's what it means. It's gone. The old self ain't here anymore. So it can't have this divided self. There can't be the new and the old. The psychologists put it this way. They say, oh, you know, there's the good you and the bad you. You know, it's, it's like two dogs in your life. And, and what you've got to do is feed the good dog. The more you feed the good dog, it will become dominant. And, and you've got to starve the bad dog, and it will, it will become subservient. And, and, and I had somehow brought some strange modern psychology into my spirituality, and I had, you know, two dogs or two selves there. And I've got to start to please the new self more than the old self somehow. No, Paul says, the old you, the old steward is actually gone. And the new is here. Paul doesn't, doesn't have a, a picture of, of a divided self. And to, um, again, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has, has come. If we are in Christ, we are a new creation. 
the new person, the new us, has actually come already, emerged. Are we fully perfected? No. Are we there yet? No. Is there more work to do? Absolutely. We, we wrestle with this now and not yet. But it has come. This new self has come, even though it is still being conformed into the likeness of Christ. In Galatians 2.20, Paul is helping the Galatian Christians come to terms with this as well. And he says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. If there is any doubt in your mind whatsoever as to whether there is an old self that you are wrestling with, this should, this should deal with it. Has Christ been crucified? Yes. So has the old self. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Beautiful verse, hey? This is what Jesus has done for us. Notice in these two verses, um, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it's if anyone is in Christ, in Galatians 2.20, it's Christ who lives in us. Um, the, Paul sort of uses these two phrases interchangeably. On the one hand, Christ is in you. On the other hand, you are in Christ. Um, we've often talked about, particularly around baptism time, about like taking a sponge and, and soaking it in water and, and squeezing it until it is absolutely saturated with water, bringing it up dripping wet. Is, is the water in the sponge or the sponge in the water? Well, both are, both are true. Both are true. We are in Christ and Christ is in us as well. And so here is this new reality, this new self. Um, and this, this new self is actually caught up in, in Jesus Christ. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. But what do you do with the bottom circle, the old self? If, if that doesn't exist, how do we explain you know, that, that part of us which continually seems to, to disappoint? Well, remember 2 Corinthians 5.17, the old has gone. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. The old self is, is now dead. Um, the old is gone, been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Okay, here's a way to think about it. Picture yourself as the perfect saint. Actually, I've got a picture of the, the perfect saint for you. All right, so here's the new saint. Here's, here's the new you. You can see the, see the halo up there. Now, you know this, right? You know this, but... Next picture, sin creeps in and it, and it casts an ugly shadow. And we can be tempted to kind of look at the, the old life, the old us, the old shadow, and we can kind of think, oh, that's me, look, I've got horns. Surely that's what I'm really like. Surely I'm not that new person that, that you know, I, I keep being told that I am. Instead of believing, next picture, instead of believing that we are actually a saint, Paul, by the way, in many of his epistles, he addresses the saints in Christ. He addresses Christians as saints. You can address one another as saints too. Actually, after the service, I think you should you know, give that title to one another. You know, St. Bronwyn, St. Stuart, St. Blair, St. Amy. Um, so you, you are a saint. You are that person. But instead of believing that, instead, next picture, you believe this. You believe that somehow you are that creature with horns, that somehow the, the shadow is your reality. Well, how is this possible? Well, this is where the deceiver, the accuser comes in. You see, next picture, it's, it's just a shadow created by the deceiver. He has a way of kind, of kind of manipulating the image a little bit. He uses his hands to kind of put this portrayal of, of horns on you and and we can often find ourselves in the Christian life looking at the shadow of who we once were, 
manipulated by the evil one to believe that that's really us. You can move your arms and the shadow moves as well. And you think, but look, it is me. It is me. I must have horns. I can't be who God says I am. But the reality is the old has gone. You've been crucified with Christ, remember? So what is this shadow manipulated by Satan? It is just a shadow of the old life. Looking at this, uh, this next picture there, what happens to the old life? It's just a shadow now. And you're called to not live in those shadow lands, but to live in the new reality of being a new creature, a new creation, one with, with Christ Jesus. That's the life that you have been, been called to. And yet the reality is that the accuser is never off our back, huh? He loves to, he loves to point out all of your failings. He loves to, to point out the fact that even today you have not been the perfect Christian. So how can this be? He's the one who comes and whispers to you, I know about your childhood. I know what you were like. He's the one who comes and whispers, I know about your teenage years. I was there. I saw you. I know. He's the one who comes and, and says, what about the unspeakable sin? Dare I speak of it? Do you want me to? That's who you really are. He's the one who comes and he says, even this week, look at your track record. You've just neglected me. You, sorry, you've neglected God. Look at you. You are not who you say you are. What answer do you give? I actually don't advise answering the devil, but what answer must go through your, through your head at this particular, particular point? What, would, what answer would you give? How do you, how do you console yourself in those moments and, and embrace truth? Well, here's, here's a thought. Oh, yeah. I once knew that person. They died many years ago. Well, you're not that old. How many years ago was it that the old self died? Around 2000. Because you have been crucified with Christ, right? Even as Christ is dead, the old you is dead as well. Colossians chapter 3 verses, verses 3 to 4 talks about the, the fact that you have died and you are now hidden in Christ. The new you is hidden in Christ Jesus. And very soon, yes, you will appear to be seen for who you really are. That moment will happen when Christ himself appears. So tell me about yourself. It's a question you, you hear a lot in today's society, isn't it? Tell us about yourself. What do you do for a living? Because, of course, that, that existential reality will identify you, right? <laughs> what do you do? Because that, well, that, that, that defines you. Hopefully it's something you get excited about talking about because you're about to be measured by your answer. How do you talk about yourself? What do you identify as? Well, maybe by the grace of God, you could, you could think about this little picture stack that we've been learning. You could think about the fact of a, you know, a coffee cup and a torch and a veil and so on. And, and, and maybe you could actually, actually define yourself via those pictures. Who am I? Who am I? Okay. Great question. All right. I am to God like a pleasing aroma, 
the aroma, the very aroma of Christ Jesus. That's what I am. There's a whole spiritual side to me that is alive because of God. It's like the light of God has dawned in my heart. Yeah. Where there was once, once darkness and, 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 and it was lifeless, it's now being filled with color and life. Because of the light of Jesus Christ. And it's, it's like this veil has been just torn away from my heart. And now I have intimacy with God. Other people can see it as well. It's like the veil has been removed from my face as well. And people say to me, they reflect back to me, Hey, I can see Jesus in you. And I know it's a reality. Whether they can or they can't, I know what, what's going on. But, but other people see it. This, does, this just isn't the new improved Stuart Hunt. No, this... This seems to be more than that. This seems to be like a transformation that really has taken place on the, on the inside. Oh, yeah, I might look like some kind of pretty ordinary sort of a guy, you know, just a, a clay pot or a clay jar. But inside me is the world's greatest treasure. Jesus Christ himself lives within me through his spirit. Wow. I mean, that, that is absolutely amazing. Um, it means that, yeah, all right, so I, I get around in this, these days in this perishable old tent, but, but this isn't my permanent dwelling. This is just temporary. The real dwelling, the dwelling that I'm made for and that, that I will be enjoying for eternity, it's, it's, it's like a house of palatial splendor that awaits me in heaven and, and all of this by the grace of God. You see, I know this to be true because, because God has actually reconciled me to him. I, I had this massive debt. I Listen, even before I had, had learned to acknowledge God, I knew that I was a sinner. I may not have used those words, but I just, I just knew I wasn't everything that, that other people thought I was cracked up to be. I knew that within myself. I knew that I just kept failing at trying to be the person I always wanted to be. Somebody one day was able to explain to me, well, that's, well, that's sin, Stuart. What is sin? Well, sin is, is basically the debt that, that you owe God. And you know what? God, through Jesus Christ, has wiped that debt clear. He has, he has taken that sin, and, and instead, he's given you his righteousness. You're, you're kind of like a whole new being. It, it literally is like you have been born again. This is a fresh you, a new start. This is a reset of huge proportions. This is the life you always wanted and you have entered into it. Now, you are actually a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And, and I know that to be true. And all of that by the grace of God. How would that be for an answer to who are you? Maybe, maybe this week you'll have an opportunity to, to give that answer. Now, think carefully before you answer, but, but how would you like to? How would you like to reply to somebody's question? You know, so tell me about yourself. How would you like to reply by using that little picture stack to, to talk about the result of the grace of God in your life? I mean, usually we, we kind of, you know, look at the person who's asking us the question, think to ourselves, what do they want to hear? And, and we reply along some sort of more palatable terms such as, you know, how would I reply? Um, oh, well, I, that's a very good question. I'm kind of like a teacher. I guess you could call me a teacher in the private sector. Teacher, yes, private sector. It's a growing industry. Um, and, uh, and people care business. It's kind of, no, not medical. No, don't think medical, but just, you know, um, you know uh, welfare, well-being, welfare type, type thing. You know, it's, I don't know. Is that palatable? 
Will you get scared if I say I'm a reverend? <laughs> you know, I wonder whether we could stop excusing ourselves and actually, actually surprise someone by answering honestly and, and actually say, very interesting, you should ask that question. Okay, first up, something you should know about me. I'm a Christian. And in actual fact, just this last week, I was in church and, and we were talking about how do we talk about ourselves to other people? So I don't know, is it coincidence or providence that you ask the question? But, but here's a thought. The Bible tells, tells me certain things about the grace of God which define me. And I like to be defined by this more than anything else that you might label me with. How would you like to answer the question that way? Are you up for the task? It's just if you say yes right now, it's quite possible that God's going to give you that opportunity. Me too. It's all right. Hey, and I've got more to lose. <laughs> how, would you like to, how would you like to answer the question, who are you, by virtue of the picture stack about the grace of God that's in your life? I'm to God like a sweet aroma, an amazing aroma. He's very, very pleased with me. Why? <laughs> because the light of his life has dawned in my life. And it's, it's kind of like this. A lot of people say they can't see God or understand him, and there seems to be this distance between him or a veil. That veil has been removed in my life. It's no longer kind of closing off my heart to him, and, and I'm able to share intimacy with God. I, I Really, I feel like I know him. Other people can see it too. It's like, like the veil of who I really am it seems to... It seems to be removed as well. So, so, you know, from time to time, people who really know me will actually remark that, yeah, that, that thing that you often say has gone on inside your life, it's real. It's like, okay, ordinary kind of a guy, but the treasure of heaven actually within me. And by that, I just mean Jesus Christ, you know, himself. He, he actually lives within me. It's this, this incredible thing. Yeah, all right. <laughs> kind of, I know I'm not much to look at, but I'm told that there's a much greater dwelling that I'm going to enter into you know, for all eternity with, with God. And all this is possible because, well, God counseled out the debt that I owed him and made a whole new me. And, and that's, that's kind of who I am today. That's, that's the person standing before you. I mean, you'll have your own way of explaining it, but, but did you know that that's who you are? That's the, that's the amazing thing about grace. The amazing thing about grace is that, that is your new reality. That really does define you. You don't have to be defined by anything else that this world would, would want to label you with. We kind of live in a day and age where narcissism is absolutely pandemic. Do you know what narcissism is? It's from the old Greek myth, Narcissus, who fell in love with himself by looking at his reflection in a pond. Everybody seems to be just, just standing, kneeling at the, the pond of, the, of this world and, 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 and soaking up their own reflection. You know, who am I? Oh, I think I'm beautiful. Oh, I love me. You know, and, and Jesus beckons us to come away from that deception and turn our eyes upon Jesus. There we will find definition. There we will find who we really are and, and our identity will be caught up in him. That's the new you. That's the real you. That's who you are. And I challenge you tonight to go back over this before you go to bed tonight. I want you to tell yourself who you are. I want you to just take a quiet moment and say, I believe that, and then work your way through those pictures. Understand the impact of the grace of God in your life. Let it soak in. Let it become real. 
And if you're struggling, if you find that a tough assignment, just, just turn to God and say, well, Father God, I'm not making this up. This, doesn't come, this didn't come from Stuart. The exercise came from Stuart, and I'll forgive him later. But, 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 but this comes from you. This is what your word says about me, and your word is true. And I believe that. Will you now help me to believe the things that your word says about me? Would you help me to believe that and, and to believe that truth? Please, God, would you help me? And I know that he will. He loves to answer that prayer. A number of people in our church have just trying to really nail this down, just really, really firm it up so that they understand who they are, have done the Freedom in Christ course, and I'd recommend that to you as well. If you haven't done the Freedom in Christ course, do it. Spend not just one week, but a whole, whole bunch of weeks working through who you really are because you are not who the world says you are. You are who God says you are. And you need to delve into scriptures to, to understand that. Get your head around it and know this new reality that is now you. Uh, I've heard Chip Kirk say it. I don't know if it was his quote or not, but, but he once, once said, um, you know, Stuart, we're all trying to become the person that we already are. We're all trying to become the person that we already are. There's the difference between our legal position our standing with God, which is sure in Jesus Christ, that doesn't change. That is fixed and that is for now. And yet the reality is, the not yet is, we are still trying to conform ourselves to behave like a child of the king. <laughs> Here we are endowed with beautiful robes, children of the king, and we're outside the gates playing in the dirt as if all of that wasn't ours. Well, tonight is an invitation to step into the person that you already are in Christ Jesus and tend to allow your behavior to slowly more and more be conformed and into the likeness of Christ so that you can become all that in him you already are. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for, for these truths. And we really need, Holy Spirit, for you to, to help us to understand them, to believe them, and in faith to begin more and more to, to live this out. That's not going to happen by striving and, and human effort. It's going to happen by the beautiful, gentle, nurturing work of your Holy Spirit, continuing that sanctifying, transformational work within our lives. And, and we just invite you to step that up a notch for each of us. Like deep roots that, that go into the, into the truth of your word, would you... Establish us so that we can withstand the, the storms of life, the taunts of this world. We can know without a doubt who we are in you. And slowly, more and more, incrementally, bit by bit, 
as you give us opportunity and grace. Would we conform ourselves to your likeness? Jesus, let it be, please. Let it be. Amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.